From Papua New Guinea to Samoa, this is ABC Radio Australia. Yours in the Pacific. Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing after the process. Heist point around. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kisimwas. Pacific, you follow, I must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up in this episode, you'll meet one of Papua New Guinea's COVID 19 survivors. Hear what it's like to get the virus and get his expert pandemic advice. We head to the disaster-prone Fijian islands where communities are under pressure to relocate and hear a heartbreaking story of how extreme weather is affecting the dead as well as the living, prompting a rethink of burial practices. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So. Let's prepare. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific prepared. When you think of disaster, you probably think of a cyclone, maybe a storm or flooding, perhaps even the catastrophic bushfires that have devastated Australia in recent years. But the International Red Cross defines a disaster as a sudden, calamitous event that seriously disrupts the functioning of a community or society and causes human, material and economic or environmental losses that exceed the community or society's ability to cope with its own resources. By that definition, the COVID-19 global pandemic is most certainly a disaster. For most of 2020, as the global death toll climbed, the Pacific was largely a safe haven. But in recent times, that has changed, especially in Papua New Guinea. And even as more and more people fall sick and die, social media is abuzz with claims it's all a hoax, a giant conspiracy. Well, you are about to meet someone who has just lived through COVID-19. He is one of Papua New Guinea's most accomplished people and has spent a lifetime at the cutting edge of medicine and science. He says not only is COVID-19 real, but the vaccination available in the Pacific's biggest country is the right one. He's getting it. His loved ones are getting it. And he says if you had seen someone with the virus gasping for air, you would want it too. NBC PNG reporter Walia Guy Olawale and I had an in-depth discussion with Director of the Papua New Guinea Institute of Medical Research, Professor William Pomat. He invited us to call him Willie. Can you share your COVID experience? Um, yes, I, I had COVID-19 uh, myself so about um, a month ago now. Uh, I, I was positive, so having a, uh, quite a um, sick weekend where I felt tired and just didn't feel like doing anything. So uh, from then on, I think um, my team, my own um, team decided that I should uh, travel to Port Mosby. So uh, instead of going by Air New Guinea, we 
had to get a um, tropic air to fly me down uh, because I also have diabetes. So that's the complication that comes. Uh, that you know, it, my condition might get worse uh, from for the 14 days that you know you get sick. I think from day six to eleven, or were probably the worst times because my blood sugar shot up. Um, I had chest tightness, uh, but luckily I didn't require oxygen. But I was uh, tired a lot, and my temperature kept fluctuating up and down. So you think, you know, mentally you get affected as well because you're thinking, oh, what's going to happen next? And am I likely to be hospitalized or or not? So yes, um, it was harrowing in that way, but. I think I'm one of the luck lucky ones that uh, didn't quite get to the stage where I needed oxygen or even, um, you know, tubes down my throat. I'm, I think I'm one of the lucky few. How worried were you for your life? Worried me, and I think it worried my wife a lot more. Now, the amazing thing about my wife is that throughout the time, she never tested positive. So we've tested probably four or five times in that time, and she's always had a mask on. Whether day or night, even when she's sleeping, she's got her mask on. So I think, you know, it's amazing that here she was uh, looking after me, but she's still negative. What did it feel like at its worst, Willie? Um, I mean, the chest tightness, you know, you feel, oh, am I going to have a heart attack? Well, um, and and also the breathing, just, you know, out of breath quite quickly. So you sort of feel, is, is this it? Those mental fights that you have with yourself are, are probably the worst bits. How have you seen COVID affecting other people apart from yourself? So as the testing center for Papua New Guinea, and, you know, we see a lot of samples coming in from different parts of, of the country. We see that, you know, there's a lot of people that have different um, diagnoses, you know, shortness of breath, coughs, sore throat, loss of smell and taste. So there's always this, um, you know, what's going to happen to these people. And I think the vast majority have you know, gotten well again. Uh, the vast majority also are asymptomatic, so they've tested positive, but they still don't have any signs. And I think some of this is to, to do with um, being young. Um, I think the Papua New Guinean um, age group is relatively young in that most of us are below 60 uh, compared to uh, developed countries. So I think that's why it protects us, uh, the age, our age protects us a little bit more. Uh, but over the past four months of 2021, we've seen this escalation in the, in the number of positives. So it's it's uh, been really worrying because um, you know a lot of our highly educated people have also been affected. So that's probably the worrying bit that uh, concerns me. Have you had a vaccine now? I had the opportunity to with with uh, Rotary Against Malaria who who partner with us in different um, malaria research projects. And they asked me to, but because I was still sick, I thought it wasn't um, recommended by the vaccine company. I, I think we, you know, when you, you have the virus, probably shouldn't get the vaccine until, um, until two months later or something like that. So, you, you, so the effect of the vaccine are not confused with the effect of the virus itself. So I didn't, but my wife did get vaccinated at that time because I, I asked if she could um, take my place. How are you feeling right now, Professor? Well, I'm trying to head off to this launch by the Eastern Highlands Provincial Health Authority. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to go and get vaccinated. Now it's been a month since um, I, I was sick. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling quite good. 
but there are times when I do feel tired, but you know, probably just old age. <laughs> Does PNG have the best vaccine? Absolutely. You know, Pfizer vaccine requires minus 80 degree temperatures. And, you know, those, those sorts of cold chain uh, requirements we don't have here in Papua New Guinea. You know, you go to rural um, Okapa or Marawaka or, you know, um, Simbai or anywhere like that. And I don't think you'll, you'll have power supply that will have this kind of infrastructure that we need. And so uh, this vaccine you can put in the normal fridge. And if you can reach those areas, you can also, you know, have an ice pack in, in a, in a uh, cooler or something so, so the clinical uh, people can take it with them into the bushes to vaccinate people. But, you know, all that logistics has, been, has to be done early so that people are waiting in uh, dedicated areas to be vaccinated. So I think this vaccine is probably the most appropriate at this point for Papua New Guinea. Do you consider COVID-19 a disaster? For the globe, yes, it has been. For Papua New Guinea, it has been. Uh, economically, it has been. Uh, health-wise, it is. But we, we are not as bad as many other countries around the world. So in, in one way, it's, it, it, it's, um, it hasn't, it's not as um, bad as we thought it would be, but it might get worse. And I think our population is past. And so that's uh, probably an advantage that we have over many other countries. And, we, you know, there's only 10 million of us, whereas many other countries that are overpopulated, I think, see, see a lot more of this infection. And how do you feel when you see people saying it's not real here in PNG? Would be good if they went to um, Rita Flynn, or if they're in Port Mosby, or Nightingale, or here in Goroka. You know, if they went to the COVID ward, and so people who are grasping for air. Yeah, this is about you know breathing. Breathing is something that we forget about. You know, it's done automatically. And if you can't breathe, then how are you going to do anything else? Or, you know, you, you might die in the next two minutes or three minutes. So I think, you know, for people who are disbelieving that COVID is not real, they should go to the hospital if they haven't seen anyone that has had COVID and see for themselves the struggle that people are having to breathe. Someone who has seen it and has no doubt about the truth nor the danger of COVID-19. NBC PNG reporter Wally Agai Olawale and I in an in-depth discussion with Director of the Papua New Guinea Institute of Medical Research and COVID-19 survivor, Professor William Pomat. He has much more to say, some of it hard-hitting. We'll bring you more in a future episode. On the subject of vaccination, the tiny Pacific nation of Nauru is claiming a world record. Based on its Bureau of Statistics population estimates of 6,812 adults living in the country at the end of 2020, Nauru has now vaccinated 108% of the adult population. With a comparatively young population, that represents 63% of the total number of people in Nauru now having received the COVID-19 vaccine. It was a terrifying night. Everything was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific prepared. All across the Pacific, extreme weather events are causing homelessness. But in several locations, entire villages are literally being wiped from the map. Areas once perfect for a village are now under extreme pressure. Many accept the reality they will have to relocate. But relocate where? 
It's not a quick nor a simple process. Pacific prepared correspondent and Fiji Broadcasting Corporation reporter Josiah Nanuka has travelled to the Moala Island Group, which lies to the southeast of the main island Vitilevu and sits in the path of some of the world's deadliest cyclones. Here, relocation is becoming an increasingly urgent reality. We bring you closer to Ketera village on Moala Island, where villagers continue to battle the impacts of climate change and rising sea levels. To Raganikoro, a village headman, Marika Mbolotolu says they have experienced a severe devastation from natural disasters but continue to fight on, making use of whatever resources they have to sustain them. The 70-year-old adds they've been using the community hall and church, which were built 40 years ago, as evacuation centers whenever a tropical cyclone strikes. For us here on the island, we always follow advice from the National Disaster Management Office and the Weather Office about tropical disturbances. I have been holding this position for the past 22 years and we've been following the same evacuation procedure throughout. The Lao group is often subjected to cyclones, which typically flow a southeasterly direction, putting the remote islands directly in the path of severe storms. Given the increased rate and severity of cyclones, Fiji's Minister for Rural and Maritime Development, Inia Siririrato, says disaster awareness is critical, particularly for the Lao group as it often has to bear the worst of Mother Nature. The focus uh, is uh, basically on uh, uh, humanitarian assistance, particularly post uh, TC Harold and of course COVID uh, uh, recovery and uh, rehab, and most importantly, uh, development as well. From Ketera village in Moala to Yeroi village on Matuku Island, relocation is the last option for villages here, despite rising sea levels and severe storm surges reaching their doorsteps. Technical officer at the Fiji Meteorological Services, Chone Nuravi, who personally witnessed the havoc caused by severe tropical cyclone Winston and Harold, says the village needs to relocate sooner rather than later. However, this is a long, drawn-out process. I was posted to Matuku in 2016. One thing that uh, got me to worry is the recurring uh, storm surges that as far reaches the end of the village and sea level rise. I will continue to remind them about relocation, but I'm thrilled with their resilience, how they react after a disaster. Heroi village headman Michaeli Lesikilakemba says many of the families refused to move because of their traditional ties to the land. This is part of our long-term goal. We will take things little by little and we hope to move to high ground in 20 years' time because this is our land that shares a close connection with our culture and values. For now, the people of Irui plan to build a seawall to at least minimize the impact of storm surges. Meanwhile, the health ministry will relocate nursing stations on the islands of Vatoa and Ongea in the Lao Group because the facilities are too exposed to rising sea levels and storm surge, which have damaged the facilities. 
Fiji's Health Minister Dr. Ifrimi Wangainambete says the Vatoa nursing station felt the impact of tropical cyclone Herald as the station is prone to storm surge due to its location. He adds relocation will take at least two years, but assures that daily health services will not be affected. Identify places where they've been screened and there are places to be seen, dental work to be done, for example, ask patients to go and see. So that's what we do. And uh, as I also alluded to, this is something that we were not able to do before, but we have the capacity now. But we have to make sure that the facilities are able to be places where we can actually turn it around very quickly and use it for the functions of the Ministry of Health. Most villages in the Southern Lao Group stress that they won't wait for the government to always provide assistance and are taking matters into their own hands. Following any natural disasters, the villagers react quickly to rebuild and rehabilitate, which has strengthened their resilience. The people of Lao have carried traditional knowledge through the generations which has helped in times of natural disasters, but with climate change come extreme weather patterns which are becoming more difficult to deal with. With a collective population of over 5,000 Fijians, communities here have tough decisions ahead of them and even tougher times facing intense storms. Pacific Prepared Correspondent and Fiji Broadcasting Corporation reporter Josiah Nanuka reporting from the Moala Island Group. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. When disaster strikes, you may have to evacuate quickly and be away from your home for some time. So, disaster authorities recommend making a kit with some essential items you will need if you have to flee your home. These are most commonly known as go-bags. Your go-bag should be brightly colored and easy to carry. Something like a large sports bag or a backpack. Some go-bags have a lot of items and can be quite expensive. Some cost almost nothing. Each episode, we will explore another item for your go-bag and you can decide if it is right for you and how you can make it work. You will need food. Have at least three days worth of food in your go-bag. Think about meals, drinks and snacks for everyone in your family or group. Consider food high in energy with a long shelf life that's easy to prepare and doesn't require cooking. Make sure you have any tools needed to open or cut the food. You need food in your go bag. What about others around you? The elderly, the frail, those with a disability, do they ever go back? Can you help them? Listen in next time for another item that will help make you ready to go. This information has been drawn from various sources, including the Red Cross, the United Nations and government agencies. Be informed. Be prepared, Pacific prepared.
Nelson Noma from NBC Papua New Guinea helping you create your go bag. We know it isn't easy for many of you to store food, but could you save a tin here or there? It might really help in a disaster. Start your go bag now. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. One of the reasons disaster preparation is so important is to ensure our loved ones survive through extreme weather events. What about loved ones who've already passed but hold a special place in our hearts and culture? Burial grounds, cemeteries and the resting places of ancestors are among the most sacred sites in the Pacific. And yet, in Micronesia, storm surges are destroying a precious burial ground for children in the remote Palauan state of Hatahobe, leaving locals to attempt to salvage precious remains. Palau's Bureau of Cultural and Historical Preservation has been investigating the heartbreaking situation, and director Sunny Niamung sat down with Pacific Prepared correspondent Bernadette Carrion to talk her through the findings, which have implications right across the Pacific. This is Iporu. Iporu is a child burial ground. It's a burial ground for um, children. And the thing here is that there's so much surge. The the impact of the waves is just hitting the site directly. Um, And the state didn't want to relocate. Well, that's one of the options is relocating. But it's a sensitive area because it's a burial. So it was a no. So the only mitigation we were offering is to... They didn't want to introduce cement or other material because uh, we didn't at the time we didn't understand the current flow so what the state wanted was to put the the trees that are falling down uh, like a, a reinforcement at the bottom so when the waves hit the bottom they w- wouldn't remove the sand um, but this place uh, it's it's just going to be lost so what, what what's uh, happening here is um, uh, they agreed that they'll collect uh, the remains and artifacts that are are being exposed and putting them on a tiny sort of like a spirit house. And the, 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 this program is funding that effort. We will be providing funding to the state to build that uh, a spirit house um, so they can store those artifacts. Do they really care about oh, the loss and the disaster? Yes. First, this site is, is listed on the Palau Register of Historic Places. And I think back in 2014, we got a letter from the state saying that we're losing the site, that the remains are coming out, and it's, it's our children. Uh, what, can, what can you do to help? And at that time, we just didn't have the funding to go and visit. And it's always been in the back of my mind ever since, ever since. When this project came along, I called, are you still interested? There's funding, there's a climate change project, and we want to help. And they goes, yes, we have to do it. We have to see the site. So we did. We we actually, we went in October. We couldn't go because of the weather. Came back, rescheduled, um, and, and we went this year in March. Um, uh, when we went, like, seeing the site personally and and really seeing these, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're people. They're, you know, their ancestors and their children. So, of course, it, it means a lot to them that it's being washed away and, and the best thing that they were they were able to do is collect the remains and store them. So that's that we're doing. There's a small state building that they store all these things uh, too. So, would you know how many remains are there? It hasn't been surveyed. It hasn't been archaeologically dated. Just because I think, just like everybody, there's sort of that 
sacredness around them. Mm. We did offer if they're willing to want to like find out how old they were and and just you know and, they, and and if they agree, we'll we'll do the testing for them. We can do so. This is a place where they can visit their ancestors, visit their loved ones. And then because of the site that's being it's being inundated when people die, they, there's another cemetery. It's a bit further inland that they're burying their people now. Mm-hmm. Oh, but this one it's no longer in use because of how it's being impacted by the, the storm surge. For Palawans, how is it important for you to visit your deceased loved ones, mm-hmm. people who have passed? Mm-hmm. So each traditional village has their own burial platform. And of course, um, during the German period and the Japanese period, they started uh, relocating the burials uh, to a more centralized uh, location instead of being buried in front of the house. Culturally, you know, people maintain their burial sites, so they still do until today. Morayok does a Memorial Day every year to um, visit uh, their ancestors and and as well as the different types of states. And of course... uh, you know, me being a Catholic as well, we do celebrate All Souls Day and All Saints Day. So, you know, culture um, evolves and it's this, we have the same fundamental belief of, of visiting our deceased and, and making sure their their burial grounds are, also, are you know, are clean and kept. Uh, and, we have, and we have not forgotten about them because the places that we bury is the place that we are from. We were matrilineal. Koteth, it's called in Palau, and Koteth, and we go back to that place of ancestry. So it, it is very still very, very important. Are there a lot of places now that has been inundated by sea level rise, climate change, rainfall, yep. flooding? This site right here, this in Ramlangui, when it's super high tide, there's a really big uh, a soup, it's called, it's like an owl. When it's super high tide, it's underwater. It's a huge boulder. It's a huge uh, monolith right here. When it's and it's underwater right here. This project, we only picked the different sites uh, that we've seen in the past that have that. Yes, there are some areas that have the same impact. We have not assessed. Uh, hopefully, the assessment in similar locations can help address the other place. Would we want to do another assessment? Yes, we would want to do another assessment because the, the state here in Romano, like, oh, can you assess that other site over there? Can you do this? Can you do that? So there are room for more projects and we are excited for more projects. Last summer, we did a maybe six weeks of Rock Island survey of known sites. So we, when even though you're up on top of the, the ridge or uh, you can see some heavy impacts on like the rocks falling down and, and heavy vegetation and even the docks on the side of the, the landing docks. So when we do the, the survey and give it back to the state, they can um, advise them where to have their management plan, where are the impact areas and, and how to um, uh, maintain these places. And that's what we do. We we provide archaeological surveys to the state to help them with their management plan. So have you done a lot of relocation? Oh, no. Most of the sites you cannot relocate. There's sensitive areas that we um, we work with to relocate, you know, some burials, uh, to relocate some burials uh, for other means. But um, a site to relocate due to climate change, we have not done before.
Palau's Bureau of Cultural and Historical Preservation Director Sunny Niamung with Pacific Prepared Correspondent Bernadette Carrion discussing the devastating effects of storm surges on burial grounds in an outlying state of Palau. Those investigation findings will be turned into a comic book or graphic novel so they can be easily accessed across states and at all literacy levels. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It is produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, PWFM, One Nomo Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you've learned here, and together we'll help get the Pacific prepared.